Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. And, uh, and we're going to get into our message in just a minute, but I just want to like get a, a big announcement out there. Is that okay? Because some of you are like, hey, what's going on? What's happening? Whatever. Just so I don't mess this up, I'm going to do this on video and then I'll come back. Is that cool? So just check this out. Our mission statement says, Life Church exists to lead people to experience life change in Jesus. It's important to us that we reach as many people as possible with that message of life change. That's why we're one church in multiple locations. We want to reach people in Germantown, and Appleton, Milwaukee, and the surrounding areas, and we believe that local campuses are the best way to do that. So when an opportunity comes that will enable us to reach more people and have a better impact on a new city, we want to allow God to lead us. God has opened that door for us. And I'm excited to announce that in the coming month, we will be launching our Life Church Brookfield campus. The members at Lifeline Church on Calhoun Road in Brookfield have voted to become a campus of Life Church. You'll hear more about this campus in the coming weeks, but I encourage you to pray. And for more information or to see how you can be involved, go to lifechurchbrookfield.com. This is an exciting season of growth here at Life Church. We will continue to go where God is leading us, and we will be focused on reaching more people than ever before with a life-changing love of Jesus. So pretty cool. I told you this year was going to be a fun year. And so I said earlier in the, in the year, I said, hey, if you're going to leave Life Church, just wait till like later in the year, at least have the fun part and that kind of a deal. So this is one of those doors of opportunity that God opens up for us. And so there's about 300 of you that live within 10 minutes. We're not stalking you, but, but just based on the data that we have from that campus. And here's what I know. You'll make the drive here, but you have neighbors, coworkers, family members that live in that area that aren't going to church anywhere. And they're going to go somewhere for Easter. So we're going to be there Easter Sunday. uh, And they're going to be making, and and, and with the drawing of the Holy Spirit, we really believe there's going to be life change. And we know they may not make the drive to Germantown, but they will make the drive to that campus there where Burleigh comes right into Calhoun. And uh, it's right there, that 10-acre campus. And so what we want to do is make sure, again, we're about, about life change, right? This is what it's about. It's about seeing people far away from God coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're interested in being a part of the journey, go, hey, man, I would love to go serve. I'd love to make that my primary campus. I understand schedules and things happen, but you'd like to do that, you can go to lifechurchbrookfield.com and simply just let us know that and we'll follow up with you. If you don't let us know that, we're not going to follow up. Some of you may go, you know what, I, that's fine. I just want to, for whatever reason, I'm going to stay at the Germantown campus or I'm going to be at the Milwaukee campus or whatever campus. Totally fine. It's there for your benefit. Um, and just so you know, so what's going to be happening, all I'm asking from you, Life Church Germantown, is this. I'm not asking for more money. I, 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 we need your prayers. Uh, those of you that, that live in that area that want to be involved in serving, we're going to need you. 
but, um, but I, just need, I just need some grace from you for me. Uh, I don't think I've ever asked for that before. And that is, is that in order to make this thing work, in order to get 300 people that attend this campus to move to that campus um, and, to, and to be able to make some of these things happen, uh, it's going to mean that on Saturdays, I'm here live. Sunday, 9 o'clock, I'm here live. Sunday, 1045, it'll either be one of our teaching pastors here or preaching my weekend message, or it'll be me on video. And for a season, not for forever, for a season. But we're going to just continue to grow this and develop this and to do this. And so I think that video technology is a stained glass of the 21st century. And, uh, and so this is just a way to leverage technology in order to continue to reach more and more and more people. If you know me at all, <laughs> I'd like to do one church on Sunday morning service. I like to have a continental breakfast before and then have church and have a buffet at the end. That would be great with me. But it costs a lot of money to get everybody together in one roof at one location at one time. It just doesn't work for everybody's schedule. So again, if you'll give me grace in this season to be able to serve and to be able to do this, I literally think that we're going to see hundreds of people and even thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ in the near future. Because again, it's nothing works like the local church works when a local church works the way local church is designed to work. And you, Life Church, are being what it really means to be the hand and feet of Jesus. And so this is an opportunity that's come our direction and come our way, and I hope you'll be a part of it. And uh, we'll do some open campus and some things that you can go and see and be involved. There's a full uh, gym that's there, so we're, we'll do some basketball for some of you that like to do that. And yeah, amen. There's a full kitchen. Thank you, Jesus. Those of you who have the gift to cook, we're going to let you cook. I'm going to eat. It's going to be good. So it's a good time. But anyhow, uh, it's just some great, great, great stuff. So take your Bibles if you have them uh, and turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We're concluding this series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, and if you, um, again, we've been promoting this, but this Wednesday night at this campus at 630, we will be uh, kind of having a, a little bit of a, I'll kind of wrap this whole thing up, uh, a bit of a little bit more of kind of a summarization of what we've been covering the last three weeks. And then also just, uh, just an opportunity to be able to ask questions in Q&A uh, and, and to experience this. And so if you want to, if you have questions, be here this Wednesday night. Uh, if you just want to audit and learn a little bit more, do that. Uh, and again, it's at 630. It just kind of helps us with the schedule and with everything going on. But today I want to conclude uh, this series on the Holy Spirit when we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit that, that the book of Acts talks about. And so again, the Holy Spirit is, is like a personal navigational device. It's, it's, uh, he is a person, the, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so the, Jesus says that he'll walk alongside you. The Greek uses the word paraclete, which means one that walks alongside. To, he'll guide you. He'll lead you into all truth. He'll convict you of your sin and he'll bring comfort into your life. And so that's the role of the Holy Spirit. And at salvation, we experience, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that two weeks ago. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. All the Holy Spirit that you need to get into heaven, you have that. And subsequent to what we're going to read today, Jesus, after he uh, rose from the grave, and, and he encounters the end disciples. The Bible says in John's gospel that he breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit, according to what Paul will write in Ephesus to in the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1.13, that the Holy Spirit seals the salvation. It's how Jesus lives in your heart and in my heart. It's through the person of the Holy Spirit. So we're filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation. But subsequent to salvation, as is given in scripture, there's what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is this enduing of power. And all I want to do is I'm going to use a good 
theological term, which you can take and explain it because it's really simple. I'm, I'm going to explain the passage, which the word explain among theological circles, or I'm going to exegete the passage. All right. I'm just going to take it and dissect it, diagram it like a sentence and unpack it to what does it mean. And then I'm also going to give some application to the 21st century, but a lot of it, I just want to explain because some of you are reading this for the first time, or it's relatively new to you. And so I just want to kind of, this is what it's saying. You can translate it for yourself, but this is what it's saying. So this is, this is kind of unpacking that. So Acts chapter one, verse eight, the Bible says, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus talking. Acts chapter two, if you'll flip, flip to the next chapter, Acts chapter two, verses one through eight, we see the fulfillment of what Jesus says in Acts chapter one. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord. It's not a card, but no, okay. Honda Accord, get it. And in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them divided tongues as a fire that set up on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because they heard everyone speaking in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are, are not all these who speak Galileans? Which means they don't speak our language. How do they know our language? Verse 8, and how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Let me unpack this for a minute. The first thing that we see is this, Jesus talks about this in verse, in chapter one, verse eight, it's the promise of power. It's the promise of power. We talked about this in week one, but I want to recap this for those of you that weren't here. Let's look at this again, verse eight of Acts chapter one, and you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he tells us that, that you will receive this power. He's referring to this promise that he's already predicated in verse five, in verse five of chapter one, where, where he's already said to them, there's this promise of the Holy Spirit. He said, you're gonna receive this when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word power in verse eight is the word where we get our word dynamite, the Greek word dunamis, which is explosive dynamic power in your life. And notice the power comes from the Holy Spirit, not from the Christ follower. It's not you. It's the power of God interacting with your own spirit that there will be that. But the power is not for the church service. The power is for outside the church. This is where I think sometimes, this is a little bit of application. I think sometimes that we kind of get the, the cart before the horse, so to speak, where we think this is all about a holy huddle and it's not. Matter of fact, Paul will go on in 1 Corinthians chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 to give rules for engagement and talk about if there is messages and gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation and service, there's only so many. And if you give a message in tongues and service, then you need to give the interpretation, which just so you know, so we're scriptural. If that ever happens here in that context, we'll wait for a moment for that person to give the, the, the interpretation. If they don't, I'll come off the platform with a microphone and I'll say, go ahead, ma'am, sir, go ahead and give the interpretation. Go ahead because we're not playing games when it comes to God. Because people kind of sometimes play fast and loose with this stuff and that's not what it's about. It's about power, not for a weekend service, not to have a great praise and worship service or power, this particular power is not for anointing or preaching. It's not there. 
it's so that we're able to go out and to change what our world, look at it. He says to go into Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And if you walk through the book of Acts, you will see Acts chapters one through seven, they occur in Jerusalem. But there's a persecution of the church that begins to drive them out. So Acts chapters 8 through 12 occur in Judea and Samaria. Acts chapters 13 through 28, which is the end of the book, to the ends of the earth. So it's the missionary journeys of Paul. And I think the ultimate ends of the earth is us. Acts chapter 28 has no closing salutation. Every New Testament book in its original form by the author all has a closing salutation how we would say, warm regards, sincerely, best wishes. There's all a closing statement except for the book of Acts. And we know that this isn't something that's unique to the author because Luke writes the gospel of Luke, but he doesn't give a closing salutation in 28. And the conjecture is, is that, that, that the, because the book of Acts is about the actions of the apostle through the New Testament church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit under Jesus Christ's direction is still being written today. So that's you and I until Jesus returns. So this is the promise of power that happens. But in chapter two, we see the fulfillment. So it's the Pentecost of power. Now the word Pentecost, I'll get to that in just a minute. I'm gonna explain what this means and all of this, but I wanna look at the first three verses here real quick. Let's read this again. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord. You didn't like that joke. And in one place, sorry, I can only help you so much. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them divided tongues as a fire and each one set upon them. That's kind of an interesting passage. Let's, let's unpack that for a minute, shall we? So Pentecost means, pente means 50, 50 days from. So it's 50 days after Passover. That's what that means. There are seven Jewish celebrations, festivals, feasts that were in the, in the Jewish calendar in the first century. This is the second, the first was Passover that began it. For us as Christians, we celebrate Passover as Easter. 50 days, so it's the Passover weekend that Jesus dies on the cross and is raised from the grave. There's all kinds of literary and spiritual foreshadowing with that. 50 days later, there is the, there is the festival or the celebration of Pentecost. And so, Many times people call this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit a Pentecostal experience or a church that believes in this, a Pentecostal church. Pentecost had no connection to the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit before this. It simply was a festival, a celebration. It was a harvest festival. The way we would have like a harvest celebration maybe in October, they would have it in this 50 days after Passover this celebration, this feast. And what would happen is everybody from around the known world would come together, converge upon Jerusalem in the first century, and they would begin to come together and they would have a celebration and a festival. So I'm not trying to downgrade this, but I am trying to make a correlation. It's Summerfest. Everybody comes together, right? No? Right? Yeah? So they all kind of come together and they all kind of do that and it's all kind of coming together and, and it's just a one big party. And, and I'm not saying it's quite like that, right? You don't have some of the bands that you have. They weren't there yet, but anyhow, but you get the idea. It's this festival, it's this coming together. It's this type of a deal. That's what's happening. So when you see the word Pentecost, that doesn't have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. It's actually a Jewish festival. It was the second following 50 days after, and that's what it means, 50 after Passover. The significance is that the entire Jewish world was going to converge upon Jerusalem yet again. And um, we see this, it says, and suddenly there came this sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. 
We, we only see verse two and three when the Holy Spirit comes to the earth. We never see it again in scripture. So after this point, we see multiple times where people are baptized in the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues, multiple. Uh, but we only see this, this thing of, of, of verse two and verse three, this, this sound from heaven, this rushing mighty wind, uh, this, this, this tongues of fire that's set up on each one. The only time that occurs is in this particular passage. Why is that significant? Because first of all, you, you don't need to expect in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a windstorm or fire every time that happens. The same way like when Jesus was, was, was born, the star didn't last forever. The star was there to guide the wise men from the east to be able to come and to find Jesus. It was a sign, it was a symbol, that's what it was. So is the coming of the Holy Spirit to the earth. Remember what's happening is Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. Now there is this dispensation of the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God coming into our atmosphere and into our earth and into our world. And, and it's not just there for that, it's so that he can come and live in our hearts and in our lives. That's the power of it. So we don't need to wait for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's already here. We don't need to wait for, <laughs> there's not going to be any fire calling out from heaven. Sorry, I hate to, those of you that are pyromaniacs, hate to bust your bubble. There's not going to be some weird deal. Sometimes what happens with we as people is we like the sensational. We like the paranormal. We like things that are aberrations from what is normality. And what happens in that is that we're driven or drawn to that or driven away from that sometimes. And it's like we make things happen that aren't there. No, the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit lives inside your heart. But this was the first encounter that the Holy Spirit was encountering in that upper room as Jesus told them to wait for this baptism, this second action of the Holy Spirit subsequent to salvation. So let's look at the presence of power that happens, the presence of power that takes place when the Holy Spirit comes. Verses four through eight. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, same thing. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm gonna explain that in just a second. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews and devout men from every nation under heaven. We explained that. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together. They were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. And they were all amazed and marveled saying to one another, look, are these not all who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language that in which we were born? Now, let's go back to verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. That word tongues in the Greek is the word called glossolalia. Glossa means tongue or language. Lalia means speech or to speak. Therefore, we get speaking in tongues from this word glossolalia. Now, what is tongues? Well, first of all, we see it here. It's unlearned. These men are saying, look, these guys are Galileans. They don't know our language. And so they're speaking not only our language and our, but our own dialect, that we, we, we hear this, we, we get this. So it's, it's an unlearned language. Now, it doesn't mean that it's a non-existent language. It just means that it's, it's unlearned. So secondly, it may be an existing language. Verse 7 and verse 8, we see there that it's an existing language, that, that they were all speaking and all of these individuals' languages. Now, I just traveled last week and I was, uh, I was in Europe and I was in the refugee camps in Calais and in Dunkirk. And so uh, I'm, in, I, I'm, I'm here and then in Brussels, I'm hearing French and I'm hearing Dutch and I'm hearing, um, 
oh my goodness. And then English and, and, and then of course, redneck, that was me, right? So just kid and there and hey, y'all. And uh, I'm just there. And so, uh, I, but, but you could hear it distinctively. And for people that were like oh, one lady that was working in the hotel, she's, she, she's cleaning the room. I tried to get back into my hotel room. I had left my key in there. She wouldn't let me in. She, she uh, this was at, yeah, this was in Brussels. And so she actually was speaking French and could not understand anything I was saying. I couldn't understand She was anything she was saying. So I just went down to the front desk because that lady spoke English or at least the last person that was there did. And I was able to get my key and get back into the room. We couldn't speak. In this particular setting, it would be as though I had the ability to speak her language even though I hadn't been taught her language. If you've ever been in a situation where you are the only person speaking your language and everybody else is speaking different, you don't understand anything that they're saying. But then in the middle of all of that, if you hear somebody speaking, in our case, English, it, you, peak, you pick up on it immediately. Why? Because you, 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 hear your own, you hear your own language. That's what they're hearing. Now, we also see that this tongues is the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So this is happening and it will happen in Acts chapter 10. It'll happen in Acts chapter 19. It's implied in chapter six. It's implied in chapter eight, just in the book of Acts alone. We see a pattern that when people are baptized with the Holy Spirit, that they began to speak in tongues, that they receive this language. This is what's happening. Again, this is not disputed by anybody. This is what it's saying right here. Now, whether you believe it's for today, that's a totally different conversation. But what it's saying here, this is what's going on. So why does God use tongues? Why does he use glossolalia? Why is that? Well, first of all, it's a sign, verse 5, seven, 6, 7, and 8 says it's a sign for unbelievers. It's a proof that the Holy Spirit is real. It's an indicator of the Holy Spirit for people who are outside, who are far away from God. Now, let me give you an example of that. So in this particular setting, when they began to speak in tongues, everybody began to hear them speaking in their own language, and they were drawn to it. They hear the sound. They, they hear the commotion, but they all of a sudden hear these people, and we'll later find out that they think that they're drunk, but, but Peter stands up and goes, no, it's nine o'clock in the morning. This, that's where it's not Summerfest, amen? So it's nine o'clock, oh, come on. It's nine o'clock in the morning. So it's just, this is not happening yet. So they're not drunk, but, but, they're, but you're right, they're from Galilee. And they don't know your language, yet they're speaking your language. There's a supernatural phenomenon happening. Anytime the supernatural begins to take place, there's a drawing to that. What's going on? What's happening? What's occurring? So it's a sign. It's also, we also see that it's used as a gift. First Corinthians chapter 12 says that the gift of tongues is used to build up the church and the Christ follower. That when you pray in the spirit or when the church begins to pray in the spirit, even though their mind is not fruitful, meaning understanding everything, their spirit is fruitful. It's what Paul will write to the church in Rome where he says, there are times where I begin to pray in the spirit groanings that I cannot utter. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you don't know what else to say, you don't know what else to pray, you don't know what else to do. And, the, and Paul says and, and to, to the church in Rome that the Holy Spirit begins to intercede for you, intercede through you. That's what that's about. It's not something meant to be weird. It's not something meant to be um, awkward. It's not something meant to be, it's not any of that. It has nothing to do with emotion. See, that's the other thing that we get. We think, well, this is uber emotional. No, there are some crazy people that have done some crazy stuff, but this in and of itself is not the emotional side of this. This is actually God, the Holy Spirit, working in and through the life of a Christ follower. Again, whether you believe this is for the first, was just for the first century and not for today, that's a different conversation. But I'm telling you, as far as how this is exegeted through the first century, this is exactly what happened. And tongues is not the bapti baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's just a sign. 
Tongues is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's just a sign. I'm not impressed if somebody prays in tongues at all. I've seen a lot of people, quote unquote, pray in tongues and act like the devil. Woo, don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. It's just, it's one. The, the, the actual sign, the act, it's, it's just one sign. The actual thing that gets your attention is you have power to be a witness of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The question isn't, are you spirit filled? The question is, are you spirit spilled? How many people are coming to, coming to Christ through your life? How many people are coming to relationship through your life? I don't care how long you're praying. I don't care how many people you got your Bible study. I don't care how many people you have your prayer meeting. I don't care how high you jump when you're in church. It's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. How many people look at your life and go, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. There's something, there's a drawing. There's a, there's, there, there's a sweetness, there's a kindness. It's the drawing of the Holy Spirit that gives you the ability to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what the Holy Spirit's about. The Holy Spirit is not for weird services. The Holy Spirit's not for weird people. The Holy Spirit's not to wig people out. And I grew up in church all my life. Dear God, let me just tell you a little story. And so, and I remember I would date these little Baptist girls from, 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 from junior high and we'd get to church. I'd be like, oh Lord, don't let Sister Smith get her shout on today because I'm gonna have to explain this to this little Southern Baptist bell. And then Sister Smith, woo, she get that war hoop going. And it was like, oh my goodness. Again, I know it's, it's the dirty South, but I'm just saying like, it's just one of those, like, no, I don't want to have to explain. And what, you know why? Can I just help you with something? If it's the Lord, there's going to be questions, but there's going to be a natural drawing and curiosity, not a repulsion and a weirdness to it. How do you know that? Because we never see a repulsion and a weirdness to it. Not everybody accepts a message, that's fine. But there's this drawing, there's this, there's this warmth. Why? Because it's, it's inside of all of us. It's the same way we come to faith in Jesus. That unless we're drawn up by the Holy Spirit, we don't come to repentance. And so there's this drawing, there's this warmth. So it's not about being weird. It's not about being wacky. It's not about any of that kind of stuff. And again, we're not about to pass out snakes in a minute or some weird thing, right? Take a deep breath. Just say, Margaret, it's going to be okay. But the reality is, is this is exactly what happened. And this is exactly how the Holy Spirit came to this earth. And if you believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you got to also believe the book of Acts. Now, whether you believe it's for today or it died with the apostles and you believe it's cessationist theology, that, that, that's your business to kind of work that out. I believe that it's for today. And, 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 and so, but I want to show you what it's meaning for here and now, right here in the, 20, in, the, in the first century. So let's look at the empowerment, the result of all of this that takes place as we kind of land the plane. I'm not going to read this, but if you read verses 14 all the way through verse 36, Peter stands up when this group of people gather around and he begins to explain. He presents the gospel. He also does what I think every great pastor does and that is he manages the tension in the moment. He understands where these people are coming from and he understands their background. He also understands what's happening in this upper room experience is brand new. 
And he has just encountered Jesus in this way. But he had the ability to be around Jesus, to understand Jesus taught and they understood. Even though they didn't know this was what was going to happen, he began to connect all of the dots. And as you begin to read those verses, he goes all the way back to Isaiah. He goes all the way back to prophets of the Old Testament. And he connects the dots. He contextualizes the experience. Same way I did Summerfest, a lot less spiritual, but you get the idea. He contextualizes the experience so that the people, the hearers, understand what's going on. Then he also takes the experience and he brings it into the here and the now about this is why Jesus came and this is what's going on. And you were the ones that crucified him 50 days ago. You were the ones that nailed him to a cross 50 days ago. You were the ones, but God raised him back to life. And when he came back to life, he ascended to the right hand of the father, but he didn't leave us alone. He brought, he left one that would walk alongside of us. That's the Holy Spirit. And that brothers and sisters is what you're hearing today. And when you're hearing this, in your own language, you're hearing the gospel and the good news in your own language. God wants to get your attention. And at the end of that, 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't say they all became Christ followers, which meant there were more than 3,000 people listening to what he was saying. In the middle of this crowded. If you've been to Jerusalem, if you haven't, I'm going to take a group next January. They're in the middle of Jerusalem conversing in the middle of this crazy festival. They're on this second, third store balcony and they began to hear this. And Peter steps out and begins to tell them what's about to happen. And of the crowd of thousands that were there, 3,000 said, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to give my life to Christ and became followers of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful experience. See, that's what should happen when you, when you experience the power of the Holy Spirit in this type of a fa of fashion. It should draw you to it. Here's the difference that I want you to catch though. The last public appearance we see in Peter's life was seven weeks, 50 days prior, where when the, when the priests, excuse me, when the, when the guards of the high priest come to get Jesus to take him to be tried, He'll be crucified and he'll die. Peter's the one that takes out his sword and the, the guard's name was Malchus and he, he severs his ear from his head and Jesus picks it up in the garden of Gethsemane and puts it back on his, on his head, Malchus, and divinely heals the guard that's gonna take him. You don't, you don't talk about being freaked out? That's all caps, you know what I'm talking about? I'm coming to take you away because we think that you are not of God. And yet this person who's following you severs my, my ear from my head and you pick it up off the ground and you heal me immediately. I would be running for the hills at that point. So Peter is, 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 is he's passionate. But then Jesus has already told him, hey, you're gonna deny me. Before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And he said, there's no way. I'll go to the cross. I'll do whatever. There's no way. But we read the rest of the story. And as he's awaiting the trial of Jesus on the outskirts, there's a little girl that begins to say, you're him. You're the one. And the Bible says that Peter curses his existence of Christ and his connection to Christ. And he leaves. We don't see Peter again until Jesus raises from the tomb. He's gone. And he's fishing, which is what he was doing prior. He was a fisherman, a commercial fisherman. That's what he did for a living. It's what his dad did, what his dad before him did. And so he's a commercial fisherman and he's fishing. And Jesus comes to him and says, why are you fishing for fish? Why don't you come and follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And the Bible says that Peter leaves the nets on the shore and he leaves the boats and he leaves the commercial business. He doesn't sell it. 
He doesn't divest it. He doesn't find someone to give it to. He leaves them on the shore. I love that. And he follows Jesus. And when he fails, and when he falls short of the glory of God, and when he rejects God, and he's embarrassed of who Jesus is, what does he do? He does exactly what you and I do. He goes right back to his past. Woo. That's what we do, don't we? In our own shame, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be a disciple. I'm not worthy, Jesus. I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm just not worthy. And what does Jesus do? He comes to him. And there's been several interactions at this point. But he comes to him and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do, 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 do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I, I love you. No, Peter, I don't think you're getting this. Do you love me? Anytime you see something in threes in scriptures, it's trying to emphasize a point. It's trying to highlight the point. He says, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, then I want you to go and feed my sheep. What's he saying? I didn't call you to fish. I brought you and called you out of this to go and change the world. The next time we see Peter is in this passage. And he emerges from this experience, not only in a right relationship with God, he emerges from this, this experience as a leader of the New Testament church. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't change your personality, but it, it, it empowers the calling that God has on your life. It empowers the hand of God on your life. It empowers the work of God in and through your life. So you can be his witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit is all about. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you for life. Thank you for strength. I thank you, Lord, for God, the simplicity of your word that we can understand it. I thank you, Lord, for the redemptive work of grace that, that your word talks about and shows us. So Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would lead and guide us into all truth. Holy Spirit, I pray you would do exactly what Jesus said you would do. And that is to convict us of our sins and to bring comfort into our lives in times of, uh, of need. I pray that you would walk alongside each and every one of us. And I just pray that you would help us to understand who you are and to be able to work in and through our lives in such a way that we will be what you've called us to be. And to everyone of our world, whether our world is at a factory floor, our world is at a high school, our world is, 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 is a stay-at-home parent, our world is, is in retail, our world is in corporate America, our world is in local business, our world is in so traveling sales, whatever our world is in, that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit that we wouldn't just be spirit filled, but we'd be spirit spilled, that we would experience this baptism of the Holy Spirit in such a way, God, that it transforms not our personality, because you gave us our personality for a purpose and a reason, but that it emboldens us not to be weird or wacky or wild, but it emboldens us to be a witness, to be a witness and to let that overflow just happen in our lives that kindness, those love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control and long-suffering, those gifts of the Holy, those fruits of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, let those be evident in our lives 
overflowing in our lives in such a way that helps us be more like you, Jesus, and draws more people to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.